0: Before I read the the passage, uh, I want to mention that uh, So I have a couple of different uh, Bible reading uh, schedules that I'm on, and altogether I've I've been reading through Ezekiel, and Joel, and Revelation, some uh, pretty wild stuff. So uh, I told Rhonda that there would be a little fire and brimstone this morning. I'll I'll try to keep it under control, though. Gospel lesson is from Luke, chapter 21, verses 5 through 19. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, When will this be, and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you, they will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. For I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right now, as we speak, 16 nations are considered to be at war. The two that we hear about in the news are Russia and Ukraine, of course. And looking at the list I found, those are the only nations that fall into the pattern of nation against nation. Yet other nations from Afghanistan to Yemen are experiencing civil wars and terrorist insurgencies. For example, northeastern Africa has widespread violence. A civil war in Somalia, a civil war in Ethiopia with some involvement from Eritrea, terrorist insurgency in Sudan, and ethnic violence in South Sudan, which only earned its independence a decade ago. And uh, as we were uh, going through some of the prayers and, and such, I realized that uh, we almost forgot about Veterans Day, um, all the veterans who, are, who have been in these uh, places of war and continue to serve. Um, if there's any veterans here today, could you stand up to be recognized? a couple. And any who are parents or children of veterans. Parents or children. Let's not not go to grandparents and grandchildren. Parents and children. Thank you. Thank you all. Because war has been almost a continuous condition uh, for as long as people have been around. So, Then I looked at a list of significant earthquakes from USGS for the last year. I started copying the list off, but quit when I got to the second page. There's just so many. Just in the US, there have been significant earthquakes in Hawaii, Alaska, California, Oregon, South Carolina, and Georgia. I I had no idea about the, the, the Southeast. Wikipedia indicates that there have been 1,427 fatalities in 2022 due to earthquakes, with 1,163 caused by a single earthquake in Afghanistan in June. Then I looked at a list of the world's hungriest countries. Many nations in Africa are struggling, some because of a history of war and ethnic conflict, others due to climatic changes. Closer to home, Haiti is experiencing substantial hunger after a series of earthquakes and hurricanes which ravaged a nation that has a history of poor agricultural management and poor government. Meanwhile, the world is still struggling with COVID-19. To date, this disease has claimed 6.6 million lives worldwide, close to one person in every thousand alive. Here in Raleigh, we don't talk about the pandemic very much, but it has certainly impacted our community and our institutions, including this church. These are indeed the end times. Wars and insurrections and earthquakes and famines and plagues. About 10 minutes of news will make you think the world is coming apart as it seems. Even America, long a bastion of democracy and the world's leading power, seems to be struggling. A poll that I saw on election day indicated that 69% of Americans are worried about the future of our democracy. I recently listened to an audiobook called The Four Threats. It argued that there are four conditions that threaten democracy. Political polarization, debates over the boundaries of inclusion in the political process, economic inequality, and ex- excessive executive power. Now, of course, the book argued that the four threats have coincided today like never before. But I guess that, that's how you sell books, right? By saying today is, is uh, especially bad. But the book also described past episodes when democracy was in peril. They mentioned the 1950s and 60s as a time of relative health but remember that the 1960s saw the assassination of a president, an attorney general, and two civil rights leaders, and was capped off by the 1970 Kent State Massacre. Maybe there were other signs of health, but there were signs of trouble as well. Stepping back a couple of decades, we often think of FDR as a great president who piloted the nation through difficult times, and there's, there's certainly truth to that. However, his presidency also saw the biggest increase in executive power, flirting with autocracy, as he instituted quasi-socialist programs, all in defense against fascism and communism. It's kind of ironic. The worst episode for our democracy was in the 1860s, but in 1800, it was unclear that we would even have a democracy. The 1790s were a time when the Federalist Party was in control. In 1800, the electoral college was split, so the presidential choice was thrown to the House of Representatives. They took three months, three months, to agree to transfer power to Thomas Jefferson and his Republicans, uh, which is the party that's now called the Democrats, at any any rate. So it's tempting to think that we are unique in our struggles, but actually wars, earthquakes, famines, and plagues have been the norm throughout human history. It's not specific to America. It's not specific to 2022. Another audiobook I listened to recently was set in England in the 1300s. That century started off with the Great Famine in 1315, which also had a couple of uh, recurrences uh, afterwards. Then the Hundred Years' War between England and France started in 1337, Black Death, hit in 1348. Altogether, the famine and plague killed half of England's population, right? We are all uh, upset about losing one in a thousand, but there they lost one in two. And yet the Hundred Years' War continued for another century, until 1453. So those, were, those were bleak times indeed. Jesus' ministry occurred during another bleak time, which only got worse. Judea had been an independent nation just a century earlier, but was then ruled by the Roman Empire. Insurrection was in the air. The zealots, such as the Apostle Simon the Zealot, advocated a violent solution. Other parties, like the Sadducees, advocated appeasement and cooperation. Everything came to a head in the late 60s, and then Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 C.E. This indeed seemed like the end of the world for Judaism, but it wasn't. There wouldn't be another independent Jewish state until 1948, but Judaism wasn't wasn't destroyed, just changed. Two major religions came out of the crucible of this destruction. The Pharisees led a change to what we now know as Rabbinic Judaism. They started to assemble the Talmud, a collection of Rabbinic teachings about the Torah. The Hebrew Bible that we know today began to crystallize. Meanwhile, Christianity began to coalesce into a distinct and recognizable religion. Followers of the Way realized that they had better write down the things that Jesus had taught, resulting in the four canonical gospels and the diversity of epistles that eventually were chosen for inclusion in the New Testament, as well as many other non-canonical writings. In fact, one could argue that Christianity as we know it today would not exist if Jerusalem had not been destroyed. Up until that time, Judaism comprised several sects, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes, The zealots, the Christians, and probably others whose names I don't know. Everything in Jewish life revolved around the temple, just as other religions had temples for their gods. They didn't worship an idol, as in those other temples, but they still believed in the need for kind of transactional sacrifices, that certain animals needed to be sacrificed in certain ways for certain conditions, and only could be sacrificed in the temple where God was specially present. Throughout Paul's letters, we see the tension between Jewish Christians who still thought that such sacrifices were necessary, as well as other prescribed observances like circumcision, and who still were attached to the life of the temple and synagogue, versus the Gentile Christians who saw no need for continuing a system that seemed to be a relic of the time before their Messiah came to usher in a new age. After the destruction of the temple, everyone had to rethink everything. They had to rethink the whole system. Most of the Jewish sects collapsed, leaving only the Pharisees. Meanwhile, Gentile Christians had no particular attachment to Jewish traditions, much less to Jerusalem. So they were freed to follow the way that Jesus Christ had taught them through his apostles. So at any rate, in April of 70 CE, just before Passover, the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem and laid siege. Jewish factions within Jerusalem fought amongst themselves, weakening their defense. And then on August 30th, the Romans finally overwhelmed the defenders and set fire to the temple. Over the following month, fighting continued, and ultimately All of Jerusalem was burned to the ground. Now, we're conditioned to believe that fire is bad. In fact, in my department on campus, I don't want people to use the F word because we had an actual fire in 2015, So so I don't use that word metaphorically. That fire in our building was hugely expensive, not just financially. It was very disruptive to everything. Everything was saturated with smoke. All the carpet and ceiling tiles had to be replaced, as well as much of the HVAC equipment, some of the classroom equipment. But fire can also be restorative. (coughs) Consider wildfires. If you are living in the urban fringe and a wildfire threatens your home, it's very bad. But fire can... uh, um, but in many ecosystems, fire is actually a necessary part of the life cycle. Fire clears away the dead wood and debris, and opens things up for new growth. Where I hunt in Colorado, there's a mountainside that suffered a wildfire a decade or so ago, and now you can you can still see that damage. You can still see you know, black dirt uh, from the from the fire, but you can also see the aspens that have come back and filled that space that was left. Prairies also require periodic fires to cause certain seeds to germinate. Most animals fear fire, but humans long ago learned to control it and use it. Early agrarian societies saw the way the prairies and woodlands responded to fire, and So they used it to both create farmland and to restore it after the harvest. We use fire every day to cook and to heat our homes and workplaces and to power our cars. Industry is built on fire from the the most primitive forges and and glass-blowing furnaces up to modern coal-fired power plants. Fire is a tool like any tool, it can be dangerous when used incorrectly, but it is also an essential component of modern society and all human society. Malachi said, See, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubborn. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor nor branch. So many people read these these eschatological apocalyptic type writings, and they identify with the evil doers, right? They fear that the day of the Lord that comes at the end of the age, um, that on that day they won't make the cut, that they haven't earned enough points on God's ACT, like I talked about last week. But really, apocalyptic writings are supposed to bring us comfort. Supposed to remind us that no matter what happens, no matter how much evildoers seem to be successful in the world, in the end, God wins. In the end, God always wins. In the end, God will remove evil from all of creation and form Christ's peaceable kingdom. God's fire is the restorative work of the Spirit burning away all of the evil within us and purifying each one of us. Jesus' friends said, look how awesome the temple is. Jesus said, everything is temporary. The temple's nice, sure, but one day it'll be destroyed. Just like everything else, one day it will be destroyed. One day there will be wars and famines and earthquakes and plagues, But you know what? None of that matters. Whatever happens, I will be there with you. My words will never pass away, but will live on within you. Today is one of those days. Today there are wars and earthquakes and famines and plagues. Today there are believers being put out of their churches and separated from God's kingdom. Today, there are Christians around the world being persecuted. Today, there are churches that are struggling to survive. We are indeed living in the end times. But everyone, everywhere, throughout history, for the 2,000 years since Jesus' death, and for 2,000 or 10,000 years to come, everyone has lived through or will live through their own end times. And yet, Christ's kingdom survives. It is here among us wherever and whenever we come together in Christ's name. The day of the Lord comes and the fire of God's wrath burns away the evil within us each. As Solzhenitsyn said, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. Jesus will kindle his fire and burn away whatever doesn't serve his kingdom. Like a refiner's fire, he will purify each one of us and put his words in our hearts. Jesus said the tribulations that will come upon each of us will be an opportunity to testify. If we trust in our own intellect and wisdom to guide us through the time of trial, maybe we'll do okay. Maybe we won't. But if we trust in Jesus Christ to lead us, to show us the right path, to give us words and wisdom, then nobody and nothing can stand against us. These are the end times, but what comes after the end is not death and destruction, but new life in Jesus. Let us seek to trust that God will carry us through the end and into a new beginning, freed from the constraints of everything that doesn't serve the coming kingdom, freed from hate and anger and resentment and jealousy, and filled instead with the deep love that is God's wisdom. Amen.